And I invite you to be taking your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Whether you have a hard copy Bible or on your phone, you have time to get there. If you don't have an app on your phone that allows you to get Scripture, you can simply Google Ephesians 2. And you can find your way to the Word of God so that you can have it before you today. My name is Pastor Ben, and that is not an important detail of today. But I just want to say that I'm very thankful to be the pastor of this great church and very thankful for the godly men and women who I get to serve alongside to help do ministry together. Today is a joyous day, amen? Amen. Today is the day that we celebrate the tomb being empty, sins being atoned for, amen. We should never get over that. I've been a Christian for a while now and I'm still not over it. It moves my heart to know what Jesus took on our behalf The sin that I committed that he paid for in his own body that I might go free. And we celebrate his victorious power over death today. His victorious power over sin and his ability to make it powerless. This is what we celebrate today and it is no doubt a joyous day today not only in God's house but later I'm sure you'll be going back to your house to eat some good food and to fellowship with family and friends. It's a joyous day that this Easter day represents. And I don't know about you, but even as a young man, I am looking forward to being able to worship at the throne of God in the complete absence of all sin, to be able to see Him. I'm looking forward to that. But there is something today that I'm able to do that I won't be able to do then. Uh, Someday, when it's all said and done and we're in the presence of God for all those who know Him, we won't be able to evangelize. You won't be able to tell anyone about Jesus. Our opportunities for evangelism and witness will be no more. I can remember growing up as a young person, my oldest brother, he was much more into fishing than the rest of the five boys in the family. And he would wake up long before the sun would be up and he says, all the good fishing is going to be done before the sun is up. And groggily, we'd get out of bed and go fishing with them. And uh, the so is the same for fishing for men, for the souls of mankind. There's only a certain time in which we're able to do this. There's only a certain time in which we're able to give our lives to the Lord. The Bible says it's appointed a man once to live and then the judgment, to die once and then the judgment. We know that there's only an opportunity for this temporal time that we have to be able to share the gospel. And it's for this reason that I purposed in my heart today to preach to you the gospel. And I'll make no bones about it. At the conclusion of this service, I'm going to invite you to give your life to Christ. I'm going to invite you to trust by faith in what Christ has done, that the guilt of your sin might be washed away, and that you might be accepted into God's heaven, and that the stain of your sin would be washed completely away by the sacrifice of what Jesus has done. I'll be inviting you to do that. I'll be inviting you to become a Christian today. I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus with your life. It's for these reasons also that I purposed in my heart to preach like it's the last sermon I'll ever preach. I don't plan for it to be, but it may. No man knows what tomorrow will bring. I've determined in my heart to preach to you like it's the last sermon you'll ever hear. Because in a room this size with this many people, for some it may be. I've determined to preach to you today like souls are in the balance between heaven and hell. Because, because they most certainly are. 
So I'm going to pray to ask the Holy Spirit, as I always do, to help me in opening his word to preach it. And I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, it is because of what you have done and because of your power and because of your grace that we are here. Father, I pray that you would settle all of our hearts into this place, that we can see the word of God preached, to know that you are sovereign, not only in your word, but also in the fact that we are here today, that you have made no accidents in anyone being here today, but each one of your sovereignty was guided to be here, that they might hear the gospel, turn from sin, and find everlasting freedom. Father, help me as I preach. I pray in Jesus' name. And all the church says, and amen. It was August 4th, 1725, that a man by the name of John Newton was born. Now, if you know your history books well, you'll remember this name, John Newton, to be the person who was the author of the great hymn that goes something like, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We'll sing it later. But you'll remember him as the man who authored this great hymn. But many of you perhaps don't know some of his story, some of the story of John Newton, some of his background of how it came about that he was this hymn writer that wrote those beautiful words that we love to sing. Uh, John Newton was born to a sea captain father who was a gruff man. John Newton's mother died when John was just six years old. In the six short years that he got to experience his mother being alive on the earth with him, though, she taught him the Bible, and it didn't immediately have an effect. He became a very heavily drinking youth. Uh, he became a soldier in the British Navy, and he even tried to leave the Navy at one point, such that when he was caught, he was beaten and demoted in rank. Once he left the British Navy, he then went on to be a captain of several different slave trading ships. Uh, it was said of John Newton that he was such a gruff man, he had such a foul mouth, that he was so vulgar, that he actually embarrassed most of the sailors that, he, that served underneath him as him being the captain of these slave ships. Uh, he was such a difficult man, he was such a sinful man, uh, that even the crew couldn't stand to be around him so much that they actually mutinied him. They were on the coast of West Africa and they actually left him there for dead on the coast of West Africa. He gets captured by a queen of that land and actually becomes a slave himself. It happened a while later that there was a supply ship called the Greyhound. And it was being captained by a man who John Newton's father knew. And John Newton's father knew of the situation that John Newton had been left, his son had been left on the west coast of Africa to be left for dead. And he asked the captain of the Greyhound to see if he could find his son and to bring him back. Well, lo and behold, on this supply ship, they find John Newton. And John Newton climbs aboard the Greyhound. And it begins the journey home, but on the journey home, they encounter this incredible storm, a very terrible storm. From what I understand, it was in the course of like 12 days that this storm raged on. And as you might imagine, in ships in those days, they had pumps down in the hull that when water would come in, as it was common in those storms, that they would go down and the sailors would pump these pumps. And it was a very physically taxing thing to pump these pumps to get the water out of the hull into the ocean where the water belonged so that the ship wouldn't sink. And they were successful in that effort, but it was such a terrible storm that even the ship, the hull of the ship, was beginning to break apart. 
It was after a number of days of John Newton serving on this ship to go home on the ship called the Greyhound, and he's there in the bottom of the ship pumping this pump that he becomes physically exhausted to be able to do anything on this pump anymore. But then what they have him do is they put him at the helm. It took less physical strength to stand at the helm and to steer the direction of the ship in the midst of this storm. So they put him at the helm for a number of hours that he could steer this ship even though his body was completely exhausted. And it was on the night of this stormy night on March 21st of 1748 that John Newton gave his life to Jesus Christ. And there were some things that happened while he's standing there at this helm He started to notice some things. Some things came to memory from when his mother taught him scripture when he was just a young boy. And we'll talk about the things that very likely came to him him, and some of the things that we even know for certain that he was considering as he was standing there on that helm steering this ship through this terrible, terrible storm. And it might come as a surprise to some of you that even after he became Christian, for a short time thereafter, he actually remained to be a captain of a slave trading ship. But as it always happens, the work of sanctification had its proper work, as it always does. Being grafted into the vine of Christ, you start to bear the family resemblance of being in the family of God. And it was a very short time after that that he left the work of slave trading that was very lucrative for him. And he became a preacher. He became very prominent in the abolitionist movement. He became a hymn writer, as we all know him to be. And it was said of John Newton, even in his latter years, that he would go around to different colleges that taught English. And he would talk with young men and women to prepare them for ministry as he had had a life that was completely against God, completely a sinner, and then he came to Christ and Christ forgave him. I hope that you're asking yourself the question, what could cause that? A crude sailor, more crude than any other perhaps, to then become this preacher, this tender-hearted man who champions the abolitionist movement. This man who writes these amazing songs like Amazing Grace, a preacher, one who prepares young people for ministry. I think that all of us would agree, whether we're a Christian or not today, you'd probably agree that it has something to do with the amazing grace of God that could so change a heart, the amazing love of God that could so change the heart of that man. But the question we'll be seeking to answer specifically is what was it particularly about the amazing grace of God that changed John Newton's life? We're going to look at some things like, what was the need for amazing grace? We're going to look at some things like, what was the motive of amazing grace? And finally, we'll look at what was the result of the amazing grace of God that was poured out on John Newton's life all those years ago. If you're in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, I invite you to look to verse 1. And this portion of scripture, just to tell you, it describes to us the process or the way it looks for a person, what happens gives us some details of when a person gets saved. Verse 1, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead, somebody say dead, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So let's take just a very brief survey here this morning of what this scripture has told us. The word of God has told us that there is a deadness that comes about as a result of sin. A deadness. Deadness being the opposite of being alive. And it is caused by this trespass, this sin against God. We also know just from those couple short verses that we read 
that this is the way of the world. This is the way the world is going. This deadness in sin is the direction of the world as a whole. This verse also tells us that all believers once conducted themselves as such, meaning that all people were there before they were even a Christian. This tells us that all were sinners. This goes along with everything we know Scripture to teach elsewhere. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We even see in the mission that Jesus came to accomplish, it, we even see in his mission, of when he's talking about his mission, it tells us something about our sinfulness. In Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what does that word ransom mean? That's not a common word that we use in today's language. The word ransom literally means a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. This is why we as Christians call sin our sin debt. It's because we needed one, not a regular person, but we needed someone who was both God and man to be able to come and pay the ransom that was necessary for the sin debt that you and I had accrued. It tells us of the Easter story in Matthew 27, verse 27 to 31. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him. And took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put on his own clothes and led him away to be crucified. Kind of interesting that that churches are many times decorated with the cross. But if you know what that cross was used for, it was an execution tool. And on it, Jesus paid the ransom. On the cross, the sin that you and I are guilty of, he paid the price of. This is the good news of the gospel, that he was in our place. He took our place for us, even though that we have sinned, even yet while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's what Jesus did. This is what the Easter season, the Easter story is about. So we see point one this morning, the need for amazing grace, which is indeed our sin. It's because of our sin that amazing grace, the amazing, merciful, loving, compassionate grace of God was needed on our behalf because of our rebellion, because of our sin. One of the things that we know in a biography that he wrote later, one of the things that John Newton was thinking about as he's standing there at the helm of the ship, he knew that if he was going to get out of that storm alive, it was going to be because of the grace of God and he didn't understand how the grace of God could come of him because of his sinfulness. He understood something of the wickedness that was in his heart. This is why I believe he later went on to write the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. John Newton saw himself as the wretch that needed the grace of God. This is what made the amazing grace of God to be needed was indeed our sin. And we know that this is a, not a non-biblical response. This is absolutely the right response that we see ourselves in this place of a sinful people. Uh, this was the same response that Isaiah the prophet had all those years ago in Isaiah chapter 6. When he saw the holiness of God in light of his sinfulness, his response was, Woe is me, I am undone. 
When Peter, the apostle, when he saw his sinfulness in light of the righteousness and glory of Christ, the thing that he said was, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. This was the same kind of response that John Newton had when he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now what you may be thinking to yourself, and just so you know, I cannot read your mind, nor would I want to. You may be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Ben, I'm not quite the sinner that John Newton was. I've never been the captain of a slave trade, and certainly I would not make a sailor blush. I am certainly not the sinful man that John Newton was. But let me ask you something. Forget about John Newton for a moment. Let me ask you a couple questions. How many lies have you told in your whole life? Please don't answer these out loud. Because whatever you said, we probably have to say that you're lying. <laughs> have you ever stolen something, even if it was small? Have you ever taken God's name in vain, using the name of God, God this, God that, using God's name as a curse word or as a filth word? This is called blasphemy, and in the Old Testament it was punishable by death. We don't see it as a big deal, but it's called blasphemy. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever committed adultery? Oh, Pastor Ben, I've never committed adultery on my spouse. How could you even ask such a question? The reason I ask the question, dear friends, is because Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 27 to 28, he said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. In other words, it's not just about whether you did the physical act. It's a matter of whether or not you've looked with lust. And if you have, you are like this pastor today and guilty of the sin of adultery. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever murdered someone? Pastor Ben, we're a civilized people. I've never killed anyone. I hate killing the spider in the living room, I, much less a person. Listen to what it says in 1 John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So you see, again, this is the heart's intention. You see that according to the word of God, this is our standing. This is not me judging you. This is me saying collectively of you and myself, all of us together, our standing before God in a sinful state is simply this, is that you and I are lying, stealing, blasphemous, adulterous murderers. And those are only five of the Ten Commandments. So you'll see what I do not extend for you today is the worldly notion that we are all just enough. I do not extend for you today this worldly notion that most people are good like the popular Luke Bryan song that you've heard on the country radio stations. I don't submit to you the worldly foolish notion that preachers who do not care about the soul of a person will ever say anything about the sinfulness of our human heart. What I extend for you today is that you and I are utterly sinful against God and even our efforts of righteousness are like filthy rags before him. I submit to you today that if you want to see the magnitude of your sin, look at the magnitude of what he went through. If you want to see the magnitude of your sin, consider for a moment the Roman crucifixion. Did you know, dear friend, this morning that most people never even survived off of the whipping post? A number of years ago, there was a film that came out called Passion of the Christ. And some of you have seen that film, but it depicts the Easter story. And it shows Jesus being beaten and it actually caused some upheaval when people first saw this film because it basically shows Jesus being built, beat to a pulp. 
And it's, he's almost dead by the time he even gets to the cross. And people thought, man, there's no way that happened. He was way more alive by the time that he got to the cross. But when scholars, even people with PhDs, people that even aren't believers, that have very well studied Roman culture, the Roman history, and they understand some things about the way in which Romans would execute someone, they said, no, that's actually dead on. Many people would not even survive the whipping post. You want to see the weight of your sin? Look at what it is that he's done. And I'm with you in this. So we see clearly, I pray, the need for God's amazing grace. If you're thankful for God's amazing grace, say amen. The need for amazing grace, for God's amazing grace, was indeed our sinfulness. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Look to verse 4. For two of the most beautiful words that I think are in all of Scripture, after the Scriptures have described to us our sinfulness and the deadness that it brings about, verse 4 then says, But God. Ben Schwederman was a sinful man, guilty on every account against God. He didn't deserve to be in heaven. He deserved none of God's grace, but God. And for those of you that know Him, you know that how beautiful these words are, this but God in the midst of having already described to us our sinfulness, and then this but God. Some of you were sinners before you became believers. Before you came to Jesus, you were just as I was, guilty on all accounts, having no reason that God should owe us anything but God. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. I hope you're hearing me preach to you this morning. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So we have seen first the need for amazing grace, which is indeed our sinfulness. And now I would like to tell you about the motivation for amazing grace, which we see clearly from the scripture is indeed his love. The motivation for amazing grace is the love of God. One of the things that we know John Newton was thinking about as he's on that helmet that he knew that if God were to visit him with grace that this God who could so forgive a sinner like him the wretch that he saw him to be that John Newton saw himself as that it was going to be the love of God that brought about this amazing grace listen to what it says in John 19 17 to 18 and it says and he bearing his cross went out to the place of the skull which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, where they crucified him. When Jesus was carrying that cross on that road out to, outside of Jerusalem, it was because of his love. When Jesus took the beating that he, des, that he took that we deserved, it was because of his love. We know from Scripture, he even says to the disciples, he's like, I, in a moment, I could have legions of angels here to deliver me from this, but it was love that caused him to carry out the mission. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe this is why John Newton wrote the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And if you know the sound of salvation to be sweet, say amen, because it's awesome what Jesus has done. 
this amazing grace of his, this motivation of amazing grace that we see to be God's love and the need for it being our sin. Now, some of you may have some roadblocks to hearing the things that I'm preaching to you today. And I love you enough to address these potential roadblocks that some of you may be experiencing right now. One of which being that you don't see yourself as all that sinful. You don't see yourself as having needed for Jesus to go to the cross on your behalf. You are a self-righteous person and you have no humility. And you don't see yourself in light of God's word as being someone who is in desperate, dire need of the grace of God. The amazing grace of God. And if that would be you, please don't raise your hand, but what I would like to communicate to you is I want you to just imagine in your mind for a moment that I invite you out to my house sometime later this summer, and I want you to imagine that we're out there at the pond and we're fishing and it's a beautiful evening, and I've got some steaks on the grill. Everybody loves a good steak, right? So I've got some steaks on the grill, and you can smell it coming come across the water where you're fishing, and I wait for you to come over and take a bite of this steak that I've just prepared for you, and I cut a little piece, you know, just like they do right off the grill. You see the juices coming down, and, and you t- I hand you a fork, you take it, and you take a p- bite of this steak, and it's the best steak that you've ever had in your entire life. And you say, Pastor Ben, this is the juiciest, most tender steak I have ever tasted in my life. How did you prepare this? I'd be curious of what you would do if if, if my answer to you was, well, my secret is in how I marinate the steak. You see, I take some Italian dressing and I put it in a container where I marinate these steaks and I take a little bit of lemon juice and a little bit of mustard and I mix these things together that are commonly used for marinating steak. But my real secret in getting this steak so tender is in the marinade I just put a little bit of vomit. (laughs) Dear friends, I don't need to ask you what your response would be. The piece that was in your mouth, you'd spit out. You would give it, you would shove it away. You would not allow it to be in your presence. But what if I said, oh no, it's just a little bit of vomit. You won't taste it, smell it, it it makes it, it helps digest it before it gets in your mouth. So (laughs) and I appreciate the laughter, but I appreciate even more the very keen understanding that so it is with even the smallest of sins before the nature of Almighty God. He will not be in the presence of it nor would you a steak that was marinated in vomit. So our sin is before God. You don't see yourself as sinful. Just remember what even your smallest sins, even the sins that you committed as a child, are known. you are known by those sins to God unless your sins are washed. I believe that this lack of humility and this self-righteousness would be a roadblock for some. I think a second roadblock for some would be for the second point. Do you seeing this motivation of this amazing grace being God's love and you think to yourself, man, I've, I've sinned. I don't know if God could love me. I've, I've committed terrible sin against God and how could... I, I've even been to services before where they preached the gospel and I've rejected it then and how, how could God forgive me? How could God love me? God, if God has seen not only the things that I've done, but the things that I've thought about, it, how could God love a person like me? And if that's you this morning, I'd love just to remind you of the Apostle Paul, who was not just a murderer in his heart. He was an actual murderer that carried it out. And when he, with repentance, met Jesus, he was washed of all of his sin. 
There was this lady in Samaritan, this lady that was by a well that Jesus visited for the purpose of making sure that he could have this encounter with this lady. And she was a sinful lady, very much steeped in sexual sin. But when she, with repentance, met Jesus, the Bible says that she was washed of her sin. And I don't care what it is that you've done today. I just hope everybody knows today, if we can just be really real in this Easter service together, that if we gave each of you a, mar a marker and each of us were to walk up to the wall of the church and right next, to, we'd write on, on the wall of the church our most secret sin and then right next to that secret sin, we'd write our own individual name. I hope all of us can just come to the place where we understand that every single one of us, including the pastor, would be too ashamed to ever walk in this place ever again. But the motivation for the grace of God that's amazing is because of His love. And yes, even in spite of our sinfulness, even in spite of the sinfulness of Paul and this Samaritan lady and even John Newton, that wicked man that we've learned about that turned towards Christ and his sins were washed, this is what Christ can do for you today if you will trust Him and follow Him, if you'll receive by faith this free gift of grace that He has purchased. It's free to you because He's already purchased it. And then we see the result. Look to verse 8. This glorious result of amazing grace. It says, For by grace you have been saved. Somebody say saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see thirdly this morning, the result of amazing grace is salvation. To all who will receive this free gift that he purchased free to you because he paid for it in his life's blood. This is why it's free to us. And this is what he offers. This is the result of his amazing grace. This was the plan and the purpose all along when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And he made the plan of salvation. And it involved Jesus coming to pay for our sin penalty. This was the plan all along to achieve this salvation. That the proper union that Adam and Eve had with God could be restored. And I'm here to tell you today that it can be restored through the cross. And only through the cross for you today. This is why I've been praying for you. This is why I plead with you to don't just walk away and let this be the only church service that you go to until Christmas. Hear the gospel preached. Receive it by faith. And let the implications of this salvation, let the implications of this renewed relationship apply to you today. Because if you won't, if you just won't turn from sin, if you just, if you just reject God, if you just think that God is going to accept the vomit marinade at stake if you just are going to be hard-hearted like that you need to know and I love you enough to tell you this this morning that you're a dead man walking today that you're a dead woman walking today I don't extend for you this happy little picture of everything the, the view of the non-believer is terrible absolutely eternally more terrible than I could ever 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 possibly express to you today but for those who repent for those who see the amazing grace of God and receive it by faith and say, Jesus, forgive me. I trust you. I believe in you. The joys are unspeakable, both in time, but particularly in eternity. Somebody say amen if you know Jesus. Notice here what the text doesn't say from their verse 8 moving on. 
And sometimes when we're looking our Bible, seeing to see what we're trying to see what God is saying in the text, what he's telling us, sometimes it's helpful to notice what the text doesn't say. And what this verse 8 doesn't say, it doesn't say, for by grace you have been given your best life now through faith. It's not about God giving you your best life now. As believers, this is our worst life now. It only gets better from here. The only way it's your best life right now is if you're going to hell. What the scriptures don't say, it says, it does not say, for by grace you have been given the greatest marriage and the most popular successful kids by faith. It doesn't say that. Now, if that's the case for you, happy for you. I'm going to celebrate with you, but that's not the point. The scriptures do not say, for by grace you have been given the most happy, healthy, wealthy, and good-looking life by faith. It doesn't say that. It says, for by grace you have been saved. That's the point. That's the point of rescue of what Jesus has done for saving, for saving the world, for making the way, that proper relationship to be restored. And it was going to take him taking our sin punishment on behalf of us for him to wear our sinfulness that we might wear his righteousness and be saved. That's the point. That's what this is all about. That's what the empty tomb is about, church. This is why I believe John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It wasn't just to give him the life of a work of an abolitionist. It wasn't just to make him a preacher. It was to save his soul forever. That was the purpose for which God poured out this amazing grace on this man we know of in history named John Newton. Will it be true for you today? I certainly hope and pray that it will be. You might say, Pastor Ben, why do you get so, do you get so excited about these things? It's because eternity is way too long, church. Eternity is way too long. Well, I don't believe in eternity. Well, you're wrong. You are absolutely dead wrong today. We're not just here by accident. This is not some big bang, put everything into a bag, shake it up, and oh, here we are. It didn't happen that way, church. And I love you enough all to tell you that there is a purpose and a plan, a plan of redemption, and the empty grave is the proof that it was done and finished and that he stands victorious at the right hand of the Father. Somebody say amen because we love him. It says in Luke 24, verse 46 and 47, when Jesus, this is after the grave is empty and he's commissioning his disciples, the Bible says that for that 40-day period he had opened the scriptures to them. And one of the things he says to them before he ascends to be with the Father, where we now currently are all waiting for him or for us to die when we go to him, it says, thus it is written, Jesus said, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And I just want to tell you this morning that when Jesus gave that commission approximately 2,000 years ago, this is what we are fulfilling this very morning to preach his gospel, to preach his word, this way of salvation that he has made through the means of death, through the means of his blood, through the means of the resurrection, that you and I might be reconciled to Almighty God and our sin stain being completely cast away from us. This is the gospel. If Jesus did not do what he did, if he did not, if he was not born of a virgin, meaning that he was not born of sinful generation like all of us are born in sin, he was not born in sin, he lived a sinless life, if that didn't take place, if his ministry didn't take place, 
If he didn't die on a cross and was beaten for our sins and crucified and laid, if those things didn't happen, then we should just all pack up and go home because this is all worthless and meaningless. But if it's true today, if it's true today that we're just a, a short blip in time away from when Jesus commissioned his disciples and said, go and preach the gospel. Go proclaim that I've made the way to, for the relationship to be right. That even though you sin, tell them I love them. Tell them that I died for their sin. Tell them that the debt has been paid. That they might freely by grace receive this free gift of grace through faith and come and enjoy this house of heaven where we're together again, where the relationship is right. If that has all taken place church then I must preach this gospel to you I must open the scriptures and show you what it is that God has done because the real truth of the matter and I'm just going to get real real with everyone right now uh, some of you uh, the church and I, I will say probably this church and I don't really like to speak on behalf of all churches everywhere but I think in this I probably could at least for the churches in America uh, many Christians are guilty of name calling uh, and some of the names that we are guilty of calling people is uh, CEO. And no, I'm not talking about the leader of a company. I'm talking about a Christmas and Easter only Christian. I'm talking about somebody who only goes to church on Christmas and Easter. Uh, we even come up with names like Creaster to describe the same kind of person. And sometimes I feel really bad about that. I mean, Creaster sounds like some kind of animal that lives in a hole. And we just expect you to drag yourself out of your house like, go on to Easter service. Like we expect you to be some kind of animal or something. And, but I, and I think, man, how wrong? Because if Jesus, what he said is true, which I believe it to be, that he says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a whole bunch of people on it. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And there's only a few on it. I have to think that the great influx that's in churches all over the place in America today is filled with a whole bunch of people that may or may not know the truth. They may or may not see themselves as the wretch that Scripture describes us to be without the grace of God. And I love you enough to say that I'm sorry for the names we've called you, even though it is kind of funny. But that it is vital. It is the most vital thing that I open the Scriptures and show you what it is that God has done. When John Newton was an old man, he was quoted saying a famous quote that perhaps you've seen before. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. I want to ask you today, do you believe that? Do you believe that you're a sinner, that you're a great sinner? And that Christ is a great Savior. Would you bow your heads with me as we sit in our seats and as the musicians and worship leaders would come to the music at this point? I'm going to do as I said I was going to do. I'm going to invite you to be a Christian. I want to ask you, dear friend, this morning, having heard the gospel preached, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you understand that you are sinful before Him? But do you understand that this Easter season, it represents what it is that He's done on our behalf? It represents that we can be free. It represents that the penalty of sin that resides against each and every single one of us can be removed forever, and it will be removed if you repent of sin and trust in Jesus. So I want to invite you today to become a Christian. We have a number of Christians in this church, and I'm thankful for them. And I'm thankful that they, have, that they too see the importance of this.
that little shadow drama we did, we didn't do that for your entertainment. We did that so that you might see the truth displayed. We did that so that your soul might be kept safe forever. That this morning could be not only the best Easter you've ever had, but this would be the day that everything about your life changes. That you turn from sin, you say, God, I'm going to leave the sin that I have loved, and I'm going to trust and receive by faith. I'm going to take off the old garment of sin that I have loved wearing, and make no mistake, the world loves wearing the the garment of sin. But I'm going to invite you to take off that garment of sin and to this morning, through faith, receive and wear the garment of righteousness that only Jesus can supply and has supplied and rose victorious over the project by means of an empty tomb. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to invite you today to be free If you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have heard this gospel preached from this very, very sinful, very, very flawed man who has nothing against or above anyone, but a man who's simply been set free by the power of God and the power of his gospel. You say, Pastor Ben, I want that. I want to be free today. I want to turn from sin. I want to wear the righteousness of Christ that I might be free forever. I want to become a Christian. One of the things that Jesus said that preachers hardly ever say today is once he was done preaching, he would look out over a crowd and he would say, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, there's going to be some who do not receive this. But for those that do, come and follow me. I want to invite you this morning to follow Jesus, that by his stripes you can be healed of all iniquity, and that you can have right standing before God. If you would like to become a Christian today, I'd like for you, and again, I'm not inviting you into a program, I'm not inviting you to a system, I'm I'm inviting you to have your sins washed. I'm inviting for your heart to be made new today. If you would like that, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd love for you to raise your hand high and unashamed where you are that I might see it. Raise it high. If I did not, I think some people may have raised their hands, but I might not have seen them. Please raise those hands high that I might see them. That you would say, I'd like to follow Jesus today. I'd like for my sins to be washed. My sins to be forgiven. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, salvation is a work of you. And because it's a work of you, you get all the credit. You get all the praise. Father, for those that raise their hands, we pray that by your Spirit you would guide them As you have promised to do, we know that you will place inside of them a new heart. That their desires would change. That they would see life through a completely different set of lens. And Father, for all who were considering but did not accept this free gift of grace, 
Continue to draw them, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for this salvation you have won and that for all who will repent and all who have accepted you, that their grave also is empty. We praise you for these things in Jesus' mighty name and all the church says. If anyone would like to talk about salvation, I will be here in this church building for as long as is necessary. Don't leave today until you know that your salvation issue is settled. I love you so much. Let's worship together.